Ryan Stanton here with ASAP Frontline at uh, Advanced Pediatric Emergency Medicine here in Orlando, Florida, with uh, Dr. Jim Hami. Get it right. Learned it on the first uh, first try because I find myself forgetting very quickly. And um, actually, one of the other speakers and organizers here, I butchered her name at one of our podcasts a couple of years ago at Smack, and so um, uh, it's inevitable that I'm going to screw it up. Uh, but Dr. Hami's from the Mayo Clinic, Pediatric Emergency Medicine at Mayo Clinic. Actually, had a couple talks, so we're going to do a couple of discussions here. We will separate them because, as uh, we mentioned before we started, uh, ketamine and bloody poop don't flow together, segue very well. So, we're going to start off our discussion today on ketamine. Uh, it's one of these medications that, um, over the last few years, in emergency medicine has basically been. Uh, as, as flowed as freely in conversation as the oxygen that's uh, hooked into our walls. If whatever it is, let's give some ketamine. Let's do you know. And with kids, we've used it for a number of years, even back to residency uh, and earlier. But then uh, now we're seeing it more with adults as well. So um, first, uh, give us a little background, and then um, let's roll right into the vitamin K in pediatrics. Sure. So the the focus of this presentation isn't everything ketamine. People typically think about ketamine as a sedation medication. The focus of what I'm going to talk about uh, is ketamine as an analgesic. Mm -hmm. But just as a background, you know, ketamine has been around since the 60s. And as soon as it kind of hit the scene, it kind of got a bad rap for a variety of things. And there's all these... Um, sort of myths, legends, and lore that popped up as to, um, you know, who we should or shouldn't use the medication. And, and so I just want to sort of clear the, the slate for ketamine and just say really the only true contraindication for ketamine use in anybody is obstructive hydrocephalus. So I have got a known brain mass with obstructive hydrocephalus. And that's not even a contraindication for its use as an analgesic, um, which is at a lower dose. There are maybe people you might want to shy away from, like somebody with psychosis or other mental illness, that if they start to have some difficulty with interpreting the information that's coming in, uh, they uh, might freak out a little bit more. But that's really more of a side effect and not necessarily a true contraindication. And so um, really, ketamine, you can kind of think of it as a drug that you can use it pretty much um, any age, and I think one of the great things that we've been seeing is its utilization more in adults because it's such a safe medication to use. That's one thing I love about pediatrics. I mean, about the uh, use of ketamine in pain um, is we've started using our emergency department initially a little bit of kickback, but also there's plenty of uh, research now, and we're actually seeing now that it's one of the great myths that was back there that it was nobody with possibility of head injury or anything like that. It was a big no-no. We've got some of that research that came out more recently that kind of finally laid that to rest that is not much that, you know, you really don't need to not use it in that situation. Um, but from my standpoint, as a pain, especially you know, living in an area where we have such a high concentration of opioid use and abuse, you know, is something for folks with pain. Uh, another consideration in those that have tenuous blood pressure, and I'm, I'm talking very much in adults now, uh, but with pediatrics, you know, it's on, on an opportunity to effectively treat pain, uh, but without a lot of the uh, risks that we see um, with the opioids that have become such a hot topic. So let's talk a little bit more about how ketamine flows into that uh, pain management, how it, why it works so well, and, 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 and the benefits over some of the other modalities that we've been using for generations. So I think the first thing that you know, anybody is considering using ketamine 
uh, needs to realize is it's another tool in the toolbox. It's not the right medication for every situation when you're using it as an analgesic. I think there are very few situations where you couldn't safely and effectively use it as a sedation medication, but when you're using it as an analgesic, it's good to think of it as another uh, tool and toolbox. Don't use it when ibuprofen is appropriate. Don't use it if you can safely treat with something else that you're really experienced with. But the uh, the times where you can think about using ketamine is sort of either as a adjunct to something else you're using to help improve the efficacy of something else you're using, as a standalone agent for something that may be a real brief but painful thing that there's no amount of opioids that are going to be enough to to deal with that, or you can think about it um, as a uh, as something that you use in an environment where some of these other medications might not be as safe, or in a patient where they might not be as safe. So I'll just kind of go through those things first. Uh, ketamine uh, was often thought of as sort of a palliative care medication or something you use when, you know, somebody has chronic pain. So think like the sickle cell patient that shows up all the time, just needs bucket loads of narcotics. You just can't get on top of their pain due to tolerance. And, and, and it does work in those situations because it can reset sensitivity to narcotics. So it can make somebody's narcotic requirements less by affecting basically the physiology at the dorsal horn. And, and your listeners probably don't care that much about this, but there's good articles about how ketamine works as an NMD receptor antagonist. But the reality is, is it can sort of help improve the effectiveness of other medications that you're using and decrease the need for more of those medications. That's one way you can think about it. Where I really got into thinking about ketamine as an analgesic is when I would have some very painful things. Um, I needed to splint somebody with a, a type 3 supracondylar fracture and that elbow just flopping around is so painful. And rather than sedating them to splint them, giving them an analgesic dose of ketamine gives them actually really good analgesia plus a little bit. It makes them not quite care as much. They're not dissociated, they're not sedated, but they just don't care as much. And it's, nitrous kind of is similar that way. If you get nitrous dialed in right, they just sort of like, yeah, that hurts, but I don't care so much about that pain. And so as a, as a single agent for a really brief but very painful procedure, you think about it that way. And then um, if you have patients who are at risk for um, narcotic uh, abuse um, as an opioid sparing agent, so decrease the amount of opioids you're going to use. And there, there's plenty of literature on this. So if you give ketamine, especially uh, you can give it as a single agent, or you can give it in combination with an opioid, you can decrease the need for additional narcotics. Uh, and, and so that's where um, you, know, you, you want to look at it. But the problem um, with that people run into ketamine is they think, okay, I'm going to use this medication, but it doesn't have any side effects. Well, all medications have side effects. And, and so some people do get a little dysphoric if you use a little too high of a, a dose. Some people do get nauseated. Uh, but there's plenty of medications, and uh, I like to think about my treatment approach to patients with migraines. If I never used uh, compazine or procloperazine because of side effects, I'd, I'd never used a drug that's really effective for treating migraines, or dropiridol, for example. We use a lot of those uh, where I'm from. But just because somebody had a negative uh, effect from that medication doesn't mean you shouldn't use it in anybody else. It just means that that patient maybe shouldn't get it again. 
And so one of the ways, one of the main things that people experience is this sort of unreal, unreality. This is more adults than kids, but this unreality type of feeling. And they don't like that. Some people do like it. That's why they use it recreationally. But they get this unreality feeling. And you can mitigate that by a slow infusion of the medication rather than a higher push. Um, other things that people can get is dizziness and that's just something that can mitigate by just closing their eyes and I often will preempt a patient and say you know sometimes people feel a little weird with this medication or may feel a little nauseated let me know um, if you feel those things we have medicines that can help with that but one of the things that um, listeners should really know is that you don't need to pre-treat people uh, with things like benzos, because if you're using the right analgesic dose, they aren't dissociating. They're, it's a below dissociation. So if you're finding that your patients are actually dissociating, you're getting nystagmus, they're having v- weird visions, or they're, they really aren't responsive to you, you probably have given them too high of a dose. And the regular starting dose is 0.3 to, or 0.1 to 0.3 mg per kilo, um, that's if you're giving it IV. And then it's a little bit higher for uh, IM. Uh, and uh, um, up to 0.5 per kilo. If you're using it as intranasal, then about one milligram per kilo intranasal is about the right dose for analgesia. And that's what we found, and that's what we love about it. And we've had great success with it with uh, adults and pediatrics. I mean, I've really changed my... I work in a a community emergency room, only about 10% pediatrics, and I've changed my approach to a lot of these procedures because of... You know, not wanting to have to do intramuscular, not wanting to have to get IVs. I mean, just limit the stressful environment for this child as much as possible. And, you know, ketamine, intranasal, um, or if we go to IM, but more intranasal in this in that standpoint, whether from pain or just, you know, and, and it is amazing when we used it. You know, this kid's just sitting there looking at you, and, um, and you know, we do the procedure, and it was for a fractured dislocation, the kid just stared at you, you pull it back in, the kid's just looking at you like, you know, whatever. And then um, you get it splinted up, family's excited because they're nervous because the kid's still awake. Uh, but the kid's awake and you do your procedure, you get it splinted up, you're done, and everybody is is super happy about that. You talked about the dosing. We do use that 0.1 to 0.3 milligrams per kilogram across the board, uh, pediatric and adults, for our IV dosing, um, up dosing a little bit. A lot of times I'll have them put, um, whether it's even in a little bit of a, a little bag, whether it's 100 cc's or so, just so it's not done as a push dose and you don't get that that dizziness and I mean you get the same almost the same thing with the lidocaine when you do lidocaine for kidney stones if you let somebody sit there and try to slow push it or whatever you tend to get more of those side effects than if you just put it into something that kind of prevents that bolus um, effect from it. Now one of the biggest challenges that I see and we've seen this conversation going around on social media is how do you is you know there's a lot of folks that are still taboo in terms of the those folks, P&T committees and things like that about this. If you don't have ketamine currently in your department, how do we bring that conversation up to the folks that are going to, that are going to allow you to make this happen in your department? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I, if anybody's in struggling with this, I'd be more than happy um, if you want to give them my email uh, to send you a bucket load of, uh, of articles about this. But I would I would challenge anybody on a PNT committee or a sedation committee or whatever to show me a drug that is safer than ketamine. How many deaths have we recorded from ketamine overdoses? 
basically none. People, if they die from a ketamine overdose, it's because they've got a co-ingestion and they've done something stupid mm-hmm. while they're uh, on that. So, so it's really one of these, um, it's, it's one of these issues of not really knowing. People just don't realize how safe this drug is. It's used in battlefield analgesia by our military because it is so safe over narcotics. And so if they use it out there in the field, we certainly can use it in our environment very safely. And as far as those, as mentioned earlier, some of the contraindications, they're essentially have been eliminated and have got good data on all these things, uh, uh, ICP, rising ICP, uh, intraocular pressure, ASA classification greater than two, or, you know, which I don't even really think that much about in the ER. We don't have the ability to sort of decide who we're going to take care of or not, like you're too high risk. Um, So there's plenty of data uh, from both pediatric and adult to back anybody up who wants to get this medication. One thing I will mention, and, and this is really crucial when you're having this discussion, is that there's often the concern that ketamine comes in different concentrations, and that comes up all the time. Uh, but I will tell you that if you're going to use it as an analgesic and a sedation medication, you need to have it available in more than one concentration. One of the biggest problems for, say, giving ketamine intranasally is you can't give 10 milligram per kilo ketamine intranasally. You, your volume is too high. You need to have the 50 or the 100. You also can't give it intramuscularly, so you really limit yourself if you only go with one concentration. But you don't want to only have the high concentration either because you do end up running the risk of 10-fold or even higher uh, overdoses, which, by the way, basically just make your patient sedated longer and have no other adverse effects other than the fact that we want to avoid medication errors. So if you're thinking about trying to bring ketamine in, you really want to think about fighting to have both forms available. And I'm guessing you do in your your, uh, shop. Well, that was what was funny is we did. And then all of a sudden one day I'm trying to sedate a child with some IM ketamine and they send me down, you know, a pediatric probably, we'll just say two years old, and they send down two 10cc syringes and they're like, how are we supposed to give this? And it, it wasn't truly that volume, but it was a huge, giant volume. And I was like, why? And then they sent down the 10 milligrams per ml. And um, for this, you know, two to four, really three to four uh, milligrams per kilogram, I typically will try to hedge right in the middle at 3.5, four, somewhere in there for an IM dosing. And they're like, oh, yeah, we there was a big push, nervous about these different dosing, so we got rid of all of them except for the 10. And I was like, you have to get this back. And so our hospital actually got back the higher dosing just for us yeah. in the emergency department. And actually is labeled in our system ketamine for pain for EM use only or ketamine for sedation, high concentration EM dosing only. And I think that is key. You do have to have those two different um, dosing modalities based on how you give it because I sure as hell don't want to give – you know, a two-year-old kid try to shove five, six cc's into a thigh muscle. I mean, you know, then you got bigger things to deal with, like your their parents choking you out. Yeah, exactly. And and I think um, we've had the same thing where people have picked the wrong one. Well, if you're going to pick overly concentrated medication and give it, ketamine's the one to do. But it's the if you're trying to give you know injection of ten or fifteen mLs intramuscularly, that's just that. 
We don't do that. I mean, maybe with rabies, but we split it up. Um, and so it's really important for the listeners to, to fight for that and, and just put safeguards on, like how ordering in your, in your medication administration um, machines, like we use the Pixis system, um, having them labeled as to what they're recommending. Because if you look on our vial, our 10 milligram per mil vial, it says for IV or IM. Well, practically, it's not an IM medication. Uh, unless you're giving like a, a homeopathic dose. And so um, keeping both available is really important. Yeah, and then, you know, making sure that it's there. And really, bit like any other medication, you know, there's a lot of the, the nurses feel a lot better with it if you're willing to sit there and check the dose with them. And because um, it's one in our hospital, I don't know how it is with yours, with the sedation, I have to give the medicine, but with pain for pain, they can, the nurses can do it as well. But checking, you know, especially for a while is making sure you double check that dose with them, that they're comfortable, that they're giving this medicine, because that's the most difficult thing for them is that mindset change that I'm giving this, what traditionally was a sedation medicine now in a child that, you know, I've got on the monitor, but we're not doing the whole sedation protocols and doing all these things that we typically used to do for these types of patients. Um, and so that's, how do we, you know, you mentioned getting that with the PNT committee, but how about with um, our staff working this in and changing that whole mindset of the last 20 years that ketamine is sedation in pediatrics and nothing else? Yeah. Uh, so I, I like to tell people that sedation is not a medication. It's a state of consciousness, a level of consciousness. And in, in my presentation, I'll show a couple videos so that people can see that these patients are not sedated at all. They're quite alert. And you can give a small dose of a medication and make somebody very sedated or large doses of other medications and they're not sedated at all. So I think that's one of the key things for educating the staff is sedation is based on whatever the Richmond Agitation Scale scores or whatever you use to determine the level of consciousness. The other thing that we found worked really well is I put together a short presentation on the medication, which I actually kind of talked through with these audio clips. I was really proud of myself. I'd never done that before. And, and all the nurses watch this now when they're doing their orientation. It's actually been sent out to the health system. Mayo has a bunch of smaller regional hospitals. And it just kind of goes through this information for people. So it's really education. And then once they've used it once or twice and they realize, whoa, this can really help. I, I remember some patients, we just could not get their pain under control. And and then we were able to use this as an adjunct. And, and they their pain was brought under control and they left the emergency department. Those types of experiences, uh, using it as an analgesic, really get people to say, yeah, well, let's start thinking more about this. But you're right, the whole idea that ketamine is a sedation drug or an anesthetic is just ingrained in people's minds. And it's going to be one of the things for utilization of the medication. You really have to help people realize that, yes, at certain medication doses, it's a sedation medication. But at other doses, it doesn't sedate the patient at all. It's purely analgesic. So ketamine, a huge consideration if you don't have in your emergency department to dig in, um, get that research, uh, work with your department, with your leadership, and with your hospital on the medication because it is a, another, as you mentioned from the very beginning, another great tool for the toolbox in managing our patient. We do our patients um, you know, more benefit by having more options 
to consider based on their needs. So Dr. Jim Hami with uh, Mayo Clinic Pediatric Emergency Physician presenting here at the Advanced Pediatric Emergency Medicine ASEP Conference in Orlando, Florida. How can folks get more information um, from you or contact you? Yeah, uh, email is the best way. I don't really use social media that much, but it's Hami, H-O-M-M-E dot J-A-M-E-S at M-A-Y-O dot E-D-U. Send me an email. I'd be happy to um, send you all the resources I have, presentations, and um, uh, talk to you on the phone or whatever. Uh, I say in my talk, and I, I mean it, to know ketamine is to love ketamine. And I, I just I just want people to uh, really understand this medication and know how to use it because I really think, think that our patients can um, benefit from it, and, uh, and there's really nothing safer. So thank you for the opportunity to talk about it. Well, it's a medication that I love in my practice and, and is growing a little bit every uh, every single year with the opportunities and ways to use it. And as for me, you can contact me, youreverydaymedicine at gmail.com, youreverydaymedicine at gmail.com, at everydaymed on Twitter, and make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast so you'll get our 52 submissions uh, of the podcast per year. And until next time, I'm Dr. Ryan Stanton, and this has been some ASAP Frontline.